When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis, a.k.a. Brittle Gash. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got a special guest on today's pod to help celebrate us reaching the 100-episode mark, Lee Ellis from the Athletics No Dunks Podcast, and formerly the Starters and the Basketball Jones. Lee came on to talk some Celtics Raptors, as well as a potential series between the Celtics and the Heat. He talked about the development of players like Tatum and Brown, and the impact that Kemba has on the team, and the impact that the team has on Kemba. We also tried our best to convert Lee into a fully-fledged Celtics fan. Hope you enjoyed as much as we did. For now, over to Lee Ellis. Okay, welcome back. We've got Jackson and Joe here, as usual. But I'm also very happy to welcome a special guest, fellow Aussie, Lee Ellis from the No Dunks podcast. Lee, thanks for coming on, mate. How's it going? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Look, we've got a few things to get into today, but let's start with the current second round series between the Celtics and the Raptors, specifically game five. Um, Celtics are now up 3-2 on the Raptors, obviously. How did things measure up to your expectations, Lee, going into this game? Like, Did you expect it to be such a, a one-sided blowout? No, not really. Um, and in fact, going into that game, if you said it was going to be a blowout, I probably would have said it might have been the Raptors who turned it around, given that They've bounced back from being 2 nil down in that series and their experience from last season and the players and the veterans on that team, maybe that's where it was going to lean towards in that uh, in that series. But instead, Boston came out and really bounced back after two. You know, I mean, the game three, of course, was a freak loss, but uh, game four, it felt like the Raptors had figured a few things out and uh, Boston really came out and, uh, and handed the, uh, the Raptors the, a big, heavy loss that could carry over into game six. And... Not only that, I think Jalen Brown, you really saw him came out in game five, almost feeling like he had to make up for his game four because he, he wasn't terrible, but the foul trouble affected him and Pascal Siakam was able to go at him. And that's a matchup that Jalen Brown has owned in this series defensively. So it sort of felt like to me that Jalen Brown was like, all right, guys, sorry about game four. I'm going to get you back in game five. And he was brilliant. But unfortunately for the series and for the contest, Excuse me. This game was over very, very early and the Raptors weren't able to get back into it. But again, that's a credit to the Celtics defense and a credit to the Celtics approach for this game that even though this team hasn't been past the conference finals with this uh, group of players, uh, they certainly played like an experienced team by trying to make sure that this game wouldn't give the Raptors any chance, any life at all in that second half, because 
In the NBA these days, 15 or 20 points, you can make that up easily. We saw the Rockets do that to the Lakers just the night before. But uh, last night, the Raptors, you know, they, they just couldn't, couldn't get a sniff. And, uh, and that's a big credit, I think, to the way that the Celtics approached that game. Well, Lee, Lee, I, 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 uh, I have a little couple of maxims that I tend to live by here. One is beware the early lead, and yeah. the corollary of that is uh, I feel like games are won and lost in the third. So, I, I, do you feel like this was a particularly exceptional um, start to the game? That, that the tone of it was such that um, it really was. Because Celtics fans, we're over sitting here like nervous wrecks. You know, yeah. we're up, we're up <laughs> twenty, and we're like <laughs> bags out. You know. Well, yeah, well, I mean, if, again, if you if you look at the way that the Raptors like to play, uh, they like to hit threes. They like to get out there and run in transition. And again, sort of going back to the way that the Rockets got back into the Lakers, the Rockets were down 16 at halftime and then they led after three quarters because everyone started hitting threes and they become contagious like that. Once one or two guys get confident, then the other guys get confident. But yeah, this game was different in that sense that the Raptors never really made a, even a remote push. Like, I don't know... You know, when the game was over, maybe it got lo- uh, closer than 20 points. I can't even remember because I sort of tuned out myself. But in that <laughs> third quarter where you're like, you know, well, okay, the Raptors need to make a push here. It just never came because the Celtics were so focused. And, uh, and that, again, that's a sign of a team that's pretty well prepared and pretty well coached by Brad Stevens that, you know, he was like, listen, guys, don't even give this team a chance because you saw what happened in game three. They only needed half a second to sort of swing a game in their favor. So if you give them any life, maybe that will uh, re-energize these guys and, th- and then they could win this uh, game and take a lead in the series. They didn't want to do that. So yeah, it's, um, you know, the early lead, the first quarter in the NBA, you know, <laughs> you can almost just ignore the first quarter because it doesn't matter if you're up 20 or down 20. Most teams find a way to at least make the game competitive after that. But last night was the exception where the Raptors just didn't even really get to that point where you're like, okay, maybe they're starting to find some rhythm here and find some momentum because uh, that Celtics defense is, uh, was rock solid last night. And uh, just, you know, the Raptors were firing away from, you know, uh, deep three pointers and Kyle and Pascal, no one could hit any and even just to sort of generate any momentum or any sort of uh, offensive push. So that, uh, that really was, I think the Celtics best performance in just shutting down the team, even though game one was a big blowout as well. But in game five, a, a far more crucial game in the series, the Celtics were just locked in from the start. You, you mentioned Stevens there. Um, I think there was a lot of hype going in, at least from a Celtics um, perspective, about the coaching matchup between Nurse and Stevens. Obviously, Nurse won the title last year. Um, the consensus seemed to be that they were pretty evenly matched going into it. Given the evidence that we've seen so far, um, are you prepared to say that Stevens has the edge over Nurse, or do you think it's too close to call at this point? Um, I mean, maybe for this series. I, I, it's, it's hard to sort of say because Nick Nurse, we know his strength is he's trying anything. And that worked for the Raptors last season. Uh, and, and again, they were down 2-0. And often when you're down 2-0, that game three can either be a blowout or it can be the other team sort of fighting back. And the Raptors did fight back. So Nick Nurse is not afraid to try anything. But he's just not getting enough production out of his players like Pascal, who hasn't been very good. Marcus Gasol hasn't been very good. And then when he goes to the bench, he's not getting anything. Re- I mean, Norm Powell's giving him a little bit of something. But in the regular season, you would see Nick Nurse at times throw Chris Boucher out there and he'd give you some production. Terrence Davis would maybe have a night where he'd score 20 points. So those are the sorts of things that Nick Nurse was able to draw on in the regular season, but in the playoffs and in this series, he hasn't been able to. Whereas Brad Stevens, what I like about him is 
he doesn't try to mix things up too much. He knows what's working and he knows how to get those guys to perform. Basically, just say to Kemba Walker, you, you control things here. If you want to go and get a basket, go and get one. If you want to facilitate the offense, you can do that. It's up to you because Kemba has been so good at getting his own shot, but also finding those other guys. And then you're getting a guy like Brad Wanamaker who comes off the bench and, and he was good for the Celtics last night. Daniel Tice has been good. Robert Williams earlier in the series. Grant Williams as well. So, you know, Brad Stevens seems to be getting a little bit more out of a little bit more of his bench. Um, as far as their actual match, matchups go, I just think, you know, Jalen has been playing better than, than pretty much everyone on the Raptors. Jason Tatum has certainly was good in the first couple of games. He's cooled off a little bit, but he's still a very, very good player. And of course, Kemba, you know, Kemba just cannot be stopped right now by the Raptors. They don't have anyone who can stop him and prevent him from getting a shot. You know, he might not make every shot, but he's at least getting to his spots and, uh, and he's controlling things. So, you know, coaching is one of those things when a team's going well, the coach tends to get the credit when the, when the team's going bad, it's like, well, what's the coach doing? But ultimately it comes down to the players you have out there. And if you look at those Celtics players, again, Kemba, Jalen and Jason Tatum have just been fantastic. And you know, this is without Gordon Hayward, you know, so Marcus Smart comes in and he's been very, very good as well. So, uh, you know, the Celtics are certainly outplaying the Raptors and deserve to be up three, two, the actual coaching matchup, it's probably it's probably about the same there. It's pretty even. Maybe give Brad Stevens a little bit of an edge. Um, just on Kimber, um, do you sort of feel like there's been a little bit of a perception change around him? You know, I sort of feel like maybe in Charlotte, the perception was, hey, this guy's, he's just a bit too small. He's just a bit too little. The shooting, shooting might be a little bit too shaky to, you know, to really lead a deep playoff run. Do you think he's sort of, um, I guess, perceived as maybe even able to be a, a primary, a primary option on a, on a proper championship contender now? Well, he's certainly better, a better fit than Kyrie Irving was for this team. You no, know, he, kidding. He, he, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like Kyrie's a better player in terms of, you know, like who can go and get your 50 points. Like we haven't seen that. Well, I know Kemba did it in Charlotte, but Kyrie's more that sort of guy who can give you, say, 25 points in a quarter. He can go crazy. But I think Kyrie didn't really connect with the players and his teammates as well as Kemba does. And, and that's going back to my point there before with Brad Stevens. I think he basically gives Kemba the green light to say, you go and feel out here. If you're feeling as you, you know, you're in the rhythm and you can hit some shots, go for it. If you want to get those other guys involved, then you do it. But he seems to be able to read the play and read his teammates well enough that everyone knows they're going to get shots with Kemba Walker. It's just whether or not you're going to get them in the first quarter, maybe in the second or the third, or whenever he's going to sort of go to those guys who are feeling it a little bit more than the other guys. So Kemba, you know, his, his years in Charlotte, he was, he was a good player, but we didn't really know how good he was until he was going to be surrounded by better players and put in a situation like he's in right now where he can succeed because he made the playoffs a couple of times there with Charlotte, but you were kind of like, Kemba's not the sort of guy who can just drag a team to victory by himself, you know, but when he's around the right players and you know that Kemba one-on-one is very good at just creating his own offense, then that means those other guys become more valuable because it's like, well, you can't double off Jalen or Jason. You simply can't do that. And even Marcus Smart, we've seen him knock down threes. Um, so Kemba becomes just more valuable when there's better players around him. But again, that's, I, I, I would say probably 90% of NBA players are going to be better when they're surrounded by better players. When you look at someone like, Nicholas Batum and, and Kid Gilchrist, for example, out there in Charlotte. I mean, how good can Kemba be when guys are kind of like, well, we can live with Nick Batum going off or, or you know, Kid Gilchrist. He does not, not that he ever goes for sort of 30 points. But mm. in this system, it's like, 
you can't afford to leave anybody else really open and let Kemba go to work there because he will be able to score and facilitate and do whatever he wants. So I think it's a combination of things, you know, the experience of Kemba where he's at at this stage of his career, he's, he's, he's in a, in the right spot. He's in a good team and he's well coached and he's confident in himself to understand that, you know, he's one of those point guards who can shoot the three. He can penetrate inside. He's not afraid of contact and his team and his coach trust him. So, um, you know, he, he's definitely, he's, he's definitely grown, I think in his reputation, uh, because he's playing for Boston, because he's in the playoffs, and because when you're in Charlotte, you know, casual fans aren't tuning in to watch the Hornets. You might see Kemba go for a night where he has, you know, 35 points, but no, people aren't watching them regularly to understand how good he was. And it's, it's hard to gauge how good he is as well on a team like that because it's like, is he a guy just putting up numbers on a bad team or is he a good player just surrounded by, a, you know, a lack of quality and now the situation is different and he's really thriving. So, you know, if you're a Kemba fan, you certainly enjoy seeing him perform on this stage because we've kind of wanted to see this. And I'm glad the Hornets didn't offer him that super max because it would have been like, why, why stay there? You've, you've, you know, you've been loyal to that franchise, go and be a little bit more selfish in a professional sense and try to see if you can go and win and actually prove to people just how good you are. And I think he's doing that. Do you think he's been sufficiently aggressive though? Like he had nine shots in, in game three. Do you think he, you know, over the course of the, over the course of the playoffs, I know he's got the, the different weapons around him, but do you, th- do you think he's been sufficiently aggressive to sort of uh, make things easy for the other guys at all times? Oh. Overall, yes. I mean, games throughout the series, you know, people fluctuate in their performance. You know, you might have a good game and then a bad game. And for that one game, he certainly seemed to be not as aggressive. But if you look at Jimmy Butler, for example, for the Heat against the the Bucks, he dominated that series until game four when Giannis wasn't there. And all of a sudden, Jimmy kind of didn't have that same, you know, momentum and that same energy going. And that's probably a bit like Kemba. Sometimes it's like, I just want to ride this guy or I want to ride that guy. Maybe it's my night or whatever. But if, again, if you look at Jalen Brown in game four, where he wasn't very good, then maybe Kemba's like, maybe Kemba's trying to force things with him or he's trying to take the load off him. It, it, it's, you know, within a game and within a series, you tend to get at least one performance like this when it's a tight series where a guy just doesn't really have it. But uh, but he bounced back pretty well in game five there, Kemba. And, and, and again, I expect him in game six to look at that matchup and go, you know, I can get this shot off. Even Kyle Lowry's a good defender, but Kemba's a little bit quicker and he's got that step back and he's got that ability to get to his spot. So he knows that shot is going to be there. And um, so, you know, I, I, I just think... I over the course of the series, it's like one game kind of drops off maybe, but the rest of it, uh, he, he's just been so good. So it just tends to be more a blip rather than a, a trend or anything. You mentioned Jason Tatum earlier, Lee, as sort of one of those weapons around Kemba Walker that, that makes his life a little easier. But if you look at his stats for this series, he hasn't been particularly impactful. There's nothing there that really jumps off the page. And a lot of that is due to the defensive attention he's been getting from the Raptors. We have this theory that we use for, for Tatum's game where he often has what we call a, a captain's knock where he'll come <laughs> in the ship. beginning of <laughs> innings. He's not playing across the line. He's always playing a straight bat and he's kind of, he's there at the end and without realizing it, he might have like a 24 and 10 or, or something like that. How does Tatum's uh, performance in this series so far sort of weave into the, the, his ascension to that all-star or superstar status? Yeah, well, I, I think if you if you sort of go by the box score or the stats, you might not think he's done as much. But I think just watching Jason Tatum, I mean, he's evolved his game so much this season that he took the leap from, you know, star with potential to like, oh my God, this guy's a, a superstar already. And what I really noticed about him and, and what I was critical about him of him in the past was premeditated, 
bad mid-range shots. And he seems to have basically eradicated that for him from his game. It's and like now, the reverse sweep of basketball shots. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now when you see Jason Tatum at times, you know, and again, he's a young guy, so he's still figuring things out. But so many times I see him now uh, be a lot more patient with himself and the offense, and he has a move or he goes to work in the post and he pump fakes and he's got a little like a fake and then he slides in under for a layup and he can finish with either hand and then he can come back and hit you with the three and then he still has that mid-ranger and he's not afraid to drive in to get contact. So I think overall, like when he's out on the court and last night he picked up, I think he had 3,000 that first half, and you're watching and you're thinking like, okay, for the Raptors, if he's in foul trouble, at least he's off the court. Maybe there's, again, there's a little a little uh, opening there for Toronto, but it didn't really make any difference. But just his ability to get his shot off as well. Uh, you see that so many times where he has the ball, he'll take a dribble, go for maybe the step back, maybe that side step, which a lot of guys are doing now to get his shot off. And he just has that confidence in himself that... It, it feels like Jason Tatum hasn't had a period where it's like he's just laying brick after brick after brick. He might miss a couple of shots, but then he comes back and hits a dagger three or he just goes back to work and gets another one of his, uh, his, his, his power moves, if you like, where he goes inside and scores over anybody. And, and, and that ability to switch hands and softly lay it up with the left hand, he did, certainly didn't have that in his first year or two. Uh, but now he's worked on his game so much and he's become so effective that when he gets into the paint, you know, he, he's almost Kevin McHale-like in some of those moves. I mean, that's that's high praise for Jason Tatum. But I've just been shocked at how quickly a young guy has been able to get rid of those, the, just those ugly, ugly shots that he used to take too many of. Because I felt that was a, 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 a part of his game that was holding back the Celtics offense, where it's like he had those shots where it's like, I haven't had a shot for a while. I'm just going to shoot the next time I get the ball. And that again, that's what young guys do when they're like, man, I just, I just, I want to have a shot. No one's passing the ball to me, but instead now he's a lot more patient and he understands he's such a big part of their offense that they're going to be coming to him a lot, even if he sits out a few possessions, but they, they basically go to him and then it's up to him to go to work. And he's six foot eight. He's pretty athletic. He's pretty quick. Uh, so he, you know, there's, there's not a great matchup there for Toronto either who, who can stop him. Um, so yeah, he, he's been fantastic. And uh, again, his, his ascension, he's far and away, further along than I thought he was going to be at this stage of his career. And, uh, you know, he, he's made the all-star game this year. I'm not sure if he's going to make all NBA. Um, he may, but uh, if he doesn't this season, then, you know, he's, he's probably got the next five to 10 seasons of, of making at least the all NBA third team uh, lined up there because he's just so, so talented offensively. Uh, his defense still needs to improve, but again, I mean, he's, he's a young guy. He's only guy, 19. So much, he's only 19. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it sometimes. <laughs> when he hits you know. puberty, he'll be something real, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, he, he's, he's just a great story. And just the whole way that the Celtics even, got him you know i mean danny ainge basically mm. said we were going to draft him anyway at number three then brian colangelo you know just gave them another pick take uh mark elfords lonzo goes number two and then tatum sitting there for the celtics anyway so uh you know the celtics have done such a great job the other thing is with jalen and jason you know similar players both with enormous potential and, and jalen didn't make the all-star game he, he's he's a certain to be an all-star at some time in the next two or three seasons uh but they also don't seem to be fighting for the spotlight amongst each other. You know, they both seem to understand you're a good player. I'm a good player. We can make this work. You know, there's no sort of like, I've got to be the star and he's got to be my number two. They seem at this point uh, to really understand that these two together are a pretty, a pretty impressive unit. 
Comparatively with Tatum, like there was a big argument probably at the start of the year, um, like Siakam and Tatum and like what their careers and what their potentials were going to be like side by side. Given that Siakam hasn't had the best playoffs or the best, you know, bubble experience really. And at the same time, you're looking at what Tatum's and the steps that he's taking. How much patience would you afford Siakam to becoming like the guy? Like I know he's already got a championship under his belt and he had a fantastic playoff performance last year. But given his performance now, um, how much patience do you afford him before you could put properly say like he is like the guy for the Raptors or any team for that matter yeah well I mean I think uh, coming into this season Masai Ujiri looked at him and said he's got the talent he's got the potential and he started off the season just incredibly well everything he did seemed you know he was hitting threes he was going to the line he was doing everything but that weight of expectation I think slowly over the course of the season came you know did start to weigh heavily on him and now in the playoffs where it's like okay you're the guy we need to go and get 35 points tonight. And Jalen Brown has just devoured him on the defensive end, except for game four when Brown was in uh, foul trouble. So, you know, Pascal is kind of learning still. Um, and he probably was a little further along than he thought he was going to be last season because he was playing behind Kawhi and everyone's like, well, Kawhi is obviously awesome. And then Pascal was so good, but now it's like, okay, we expect you to do what Kawhi was basically doing for the Raptors last season in the playoffs. And he hasn't been able to, to, to reach that point just yet. And, you know, he shot, um, I remember when he used to come off the bench and I was like, that three pointer just doesn't, you know, doesn't look great, but then he worked on it and he got better at it. His handle was going what was improving at the start of the season but now he puts the ball on the floor and it's like that you're not going to be able to sort of get past guys like Jalen Brown with that especially in a playoff series so he's he's a sort of guy it's like it's almost like his season should have been reversed where last season he had the sort of struggle in the playoffs figured it out and then became good this season but it was like last season he was so good and now it's like, well, okay, now Kawhi's not there. You get so much more attention. How are you going to handle it? And he hasn't been able to do a great job of it. And, uh, you know, he settles a little bit sometimes as well for that sort of mid-ranger. And, again, I think that's because he does all that spinning and twisting and trying to get those floaters over Jalen Brown that he, he knows if he goes in there, Jalen's going gonna to defend him too well. And then they've got other guys like Marcus Smart who just get into his body as well. And that is the part of the game that uh, Pascal's going to have to work on. What's he going to bring next season to the table? What's he gonna, what's, how's he going to improve his game so that he can be dominant against anybody? Because he's, a, he's an incredibly talented player, but it's one thing when you're doing it kind of under the radar versus like, okay, now you're getting, you know, he got the massive contract with the Raptors. He was an all-star People are looking at you to be like you're the you're the face of this team. You're the guy who who they look to 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 win a game for them in the playoffs and win a series for them. Um, so how he responds in Game Six is going to be his first step. And then if if there's no more season for that after the Raptors, how he comes back next season because uh, he, he's one of those guys you look at him and it's like I don't know how he scores a lot sometimes. And he could end the night with 35 points because he he does it in the regular season. But of course, it's so much different in the playoffs when you're going up against the same team and they have a chance to really scout you and plan and prepare for how they're going to play against you. How do you kind of, how do you kind of organize, do you have a tier system in your, you know, in the way you assess players? Like, do you, you know, and, and, you know, you talk about Siakam versus Tatum and it sort of feels like they're on slightly different tiers now, you know, like, do you have one and how do you, how do you, what's your kind of rubric there? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, I think, um, it, it just sort of changes all the time because like Kawhi Leonard, for example, I, I was in Toronto when he had his workout for the Raptors and everyone was saying the same thing. This guy's just a great athlete. He can jump, he's super athletic and he's fast 
but he can't shoot. So is he a basketball player or is he an athlete who plays basketball? And I remember watching him shoot. And even now, Kawhi Leonard doesn't have a beautiful shot. Like he, he's worked on it so well that it's become just, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very mechanically, it's not pretty to watch, but it's effective. So who cares at the end of the day, if it goes in, that's all that counts. So if someone had said to me, Kawhi Leonard might be on the verge of going for his third championship and potentially his third finals MVP, I would have been like, uh, I don't think that he's not, I don't think he's going to become that good, but guys can develop and improve. And it's really comes down to how hard they work. And Kawhi Leonard is just known to be such a hard worker and just wants to improve everything. And not just the way that he plays the game, how he eats, how he works out, how he gets himself ready. And the fact that he basically took a quarter of the season off last year, just to make sure he was right. It was a big gamble, but then he goes on to win the championship and wins the finals MVP. So it's like, well, yeah, he knew what he was doing. Okay. So he's an example of a guy who's again, exceeded everything that he had, that he looked like he was going to be when he first started in the league. So now someone like Pascal last season, again, he, he won the championship with the Raptors playing well. And I was like, Oh, that, that was surprising. Can he maintain that? Can he sustain it? And he hasn't quite lived up to those expectations across the entire season, but he's still young enough that it's like every really good player goes away in the off season and works on something and comes back the next season better, whether it's ball, uh, ball handling, whether it's defense, whether it's that mid range game, three pointer, whatever it is. And look at guys like DeMar DeRozan, for example, when he started, it was like, this guy's a good player, but will he be able to become just a lethal scorer? And again, he has. It's taken a lot of years of work, but he's perfected his game, which is a mid-range. He's not a great three-point shooter, and that's fine. That's what he is. So, you know, when I when I look at a guy, I sort of you sort of look where they are and what's their ceiling. And if they can reach that ceiling, how are they going to get there? Is it through hard work or is it through sheer talent? Most of the time it's just working so hard. And that's so so for me, I look for someone to to take that step up from good player with potential to like, okay, this guy's, you know, just, just a superstar player. And Jason Tatum is one of those guys I look at and I think he, he has the potential right now to be a lock for all NBA for, you know, for the next 10 years, he has the potential, but will he do that? Yeah. Will he have the drive and will he have that motivation every summer to go and get better and better and better because he's already a very good player, but does he become one of those guys that you just look at like Chris Paul at this stage of his career where, Chris Paul, you know, in the clutch, apart from game seven against Houston, where it, it sort of fell apart there for the Thunder. But Chris Paul became so reliable that every other game, when it got close, he just demanded the ball, went and scored and got baskets and won his team the game. Yep. So that's that's the kind of um, uh, trajectory that, you know, you want to see players go on. But it, it's hard, it, like, like Jason Tatum, it's hard to see him make a leap next season from where he was this season to become you know, like, okay, he's already top three in the league or anything like that. It just, it's just hard to see him make that big a leap, but in three or four years, you, you could see it happening. So, you know, I, I, um, I, I look right now at, at, at who the best players in the league and, you know, Kawhi's there, of course, LeBron's there, you know, Anthony Davis, when he's locked in as one of the best players, um, you know, Steph Curry, when he comes back, he's still one of the most effective players, but these things, you know, they move around so quickly when, when guys like Steph Curry basically didn't play this season, you forget about it, you know, but if he comes back next season is healthy and clays back healthy and Draymond's re-motivated motivated again, I mean, there's no reason why the Warriors couldn't be one of the best teams in the Western conference. So, you know, it sort of shuffles around each season, but uh, I, you know, I, I look for those guys where I'm like, okay, Jason Tatum next season, what are you going to, what are you going to bring to the table next season that we haven't seen? 
that you become really, really good at. You know, maybe it's defense. Maybe he just says, you know what, I'm going to become a lockdown defender like Jalen Brown and add that to my game. Um, you know, maybe it's the, uh, maybe it's becoming a better three-point shooter. Maybe it's becoming a better facilitator. Maybe it's becoming someone who distributes the ball on offense because that's what we've also started to see a little bit from Kawhi Leonard. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to sort of say, I'm going to put this guy on, in, on this echelon today and he stays there because it can change throughout the course of the season. Mm. Well, at least as far as Siakam's ascension, as long as that doesn't happen in the next two or three games, I'm completely fine with that. <laughs> <Fun> by me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it probably won't. I mean, it probably won't. From what we've seen, um, you know, Pascal is uh, a talented player, but as I say, this matchup is a bad one for him because Jalen Brown is uh, is more than up to the challenge defensively, mm. and then on the offensive end, Jalen Brown is uh, is also being has been better than Pascal so far. Yeah, well, look, not to jinx anything here, Lee uh, and Jackson and Joe, but let's say hypothetically <laughs> the Celtics do somehow advance to face the Heat and not to jinx them as well in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, we've got a question here from a Reddit user, Leung He, who asks, uh, which players, Lee, would, would shine in that series based on matchups? Heat versus uh, Bucks. Oh, sorry, uh, Heat, Heat versus Celtics. Yeah, well, let's have a look at it. So, so Dragic has been very, very good. I'm guessing Marcus Smart would probably uh, defend him. That'd be a great battle to see. Um, I'm just trying to think. So Jimmy Butler would probably take Tatum, I would guess, at the start. Uh, I mean, that's that's a pretty good battle. But I, I based on what we've seen from Jimmy and just how focused he gets on trying to defend guys and take it to them, I, actually, I think Jalen Brown would probably take Jimmy Butler though defensively. I think he's just a little bit bigger, yeah. a little bit stronger. Uh, I don't think it'd be Tatum there, but but that that would be a great matchup because Jimmy Butler would be so up for that challenge, um, and and Jalen would be too. So it'd be good. I'd probably give a, a slight edge to Jimmy Butler just because we've seen what he's done so far down there in the bubble against Indiana and then against the Milwaukee Bucks. But it'd be very very close. Uh, Bam versus Daniel Tice. I mean, athletically, you give a, an advantage there to Bam, but Daniel Tice has shown that he's 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 not a plonker out there. He's a very very good player, uh, and that matchup for him is going to be tough because Bam is athletic. Bam can run to the hoop, but he can also hit that mid ranger. So that'd be a tough one. I mean, I'd probably give Bam the slight edge there. But if Daniel Tice is hitting that mid ranger and even stepping out for a three, then he's going to make Bam work on the defensive end, which is going to be uh, that's going to be key for him. And then who else have we got out there? Um, Leo Linick is going to go for 40, 40 points at one stage in a <laughs> yeah, series, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've got uh, Duncan Robinson and, uh, well... Well, like, let's focus on the bench, for example, there, Lee, because the, the criticism on the Celtics all season has been that their bench isn't deep enough. And you look at a team like the Heat and they're, they're pretty well filled out. Did you see that being a problem for the Celtics? You know, guys like it's pretty much Brad Wanamaker, Shemi Ojale, who were coming off the bench for the Seas. And meanwhile, the Heat have this litany of, of talented players there. Um, do you see that maybe being the tipping point in that potential series? Well, I think, I think I mean, if those guys come out shooting threes, uh, you know, if, if Tyler Hero's shooting threes, that's the, what the key is going to be for Miami. They've got to score against that uh, Boston defense. Um, and Alinek, Alinek's a good player too, yeah, as you guys mentioned there. Like, he he's can be effective as well in his role. Uh, Andre Iguodala, you know, in, in limited minutes because he's not going to play heavy minutes. We know that defensively he's very good. That three-pointer, not all that reliable, but uh, an experienced veteran who's going to be – he basically helps the Miami Heat defend, so that's going to be important. But, look, the Celtics, I wouldn't be surprised if they get Gordon Hayward back for that series. And I wonder if uh, 
if Brad Stevens considers bring him off the bench, which he did at times during the season. I, I think that would be a good role for him because when you have the three of Kemba, Jason and Jalen out there, and then you've got Marcus Smart, I mean, Smart can shoot the three and he wants to shoot it. But if you have Gordon Hayward coming off the bench, then he can sort of uh, provide the offense that they need there. Wanamaker has been good for the Celtics. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how Brad Stevens would do that. He probably, he probably wouldn't. He probably would stick with um, Hayward back into that starting lineup. But uh, it's hard to say. I mean, for matchups in that series, he might, he might want Hayward. Anyway, that, I'm, I'm sort of getting a little bit uh, sort of far down the track there. Um, but Miami, you know, look, this this is a team that's going to be very well coached, very well prepared. Um, defensively, you know, they're going to be locked in as well. You've seen the way that they've defended Giannis in this series when he's been playing. Giannis can't touch the ball in the half court without seeing two or three Miami Heat jerseys. So you figure that, that you know, Brown and Tatum are going to cut a lot of attention as well and, 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 and force those other guys for the Celtics to be the, you know, be the guys who score their offense and, and score their points. So that's, I would think, how Miami's going to approach this. Um, but, but they're very evenly matched, I think, too, over all these teams. They've, they've both got weapons who can score and they're both, they can both defend very well because, you know, Miami is not the sort of team that wants to go out there and score 120 points. They want this to be a close, tight game and give the ball to Jimmy Butler at the end to try to finish it off. So... You know, you know that's going to be a, it's going to be an arm wrestle between these two games, these two series uh, teams. So if the Celtics can get out and score early on, and make it a little bit more of a high-scoring, fast-paced game, that's going to suit Boston. But if the Heat can slow it down and play the pace that they prefer, then it's just, it's going to it's going to suit them more. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's a pretty fascinating matchup when you think about it, and uh, and whether or not we'll get it. I mean, I expect we will. It certainly looks that way right now. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it comes off, and just to see how Jimmy Butler approaches that series because uh, we know he loves the battle, he loves the fight, and he loves, loves the, the war. And he loves uh, the yeah. battle. Yeah. worries and, me big time. And that's and that's a thing though. But he he wants to get into it. He wants to sort of he wants to make it down dirty in that series and uh, and see what the Celtics are made of. But uh, but you know, there's no reason to think the Celtics would go. In, intimidated or, or, or you know, overly worried about that series. If they play their best, they could certainly beat the Heat. The, humorous for a second, Lee. Obviously, it's a Celtics podcast, so let's 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 assume the Celtics are going to make the finals. Um, in your <laughs> honest opinion, completely neutral opinion, how do you realistically think we would stack up? Like I've for the longest time considered the, the big three that we have of Tatum, Brown, and Kemba kind of comparable to any other big three in who's left in the league anyway, who's left in the playoffs, I should say. Maybe if you just want to get the two guys, it'd be one thing. But when it comes to three, like, do you think that's a fair comparison to say that we'd be on par with the likes of Kawhi, Paul George and Lou Williams for the Clippers in, uh, for, in the Clippers, for example? I mean, at their best, for sure. No, no question about it. And that's the thing right now where we sit here today, what September nine or 10 or whatever it is, um, like I still couldn't tell you who I, I, I think is going to win the championship convincingly. You know, the Clippers, if they play their best, absolutely can win it. The Lakers, of course, they can win it if they play the best. If things bounce the right way, the Rockets with this crazy system that they're playing, they could come off and pull off this victory as well. I don't think Denver can win it. You know, I think Denver is a, is a good team, but I don't think they can win it. And then in the East, I think Miami, if they get everything going their way, can do it. The Bucks are not dead just yet. It seems like they're pretty close to being dead, but let's not kick sand on them until they are officially dead. And then the Raptors and the Celtics, again, the Celtics... Uh, excuse me, the Raptors last season, every every round except for the finals, they trailed and they came back and won. And I remember watching when they lose to Orlando in the first round. And I'm like, typical Raptors, 
you know, they'll make this difficult. They'll probably win this series, but that'll be it. Against the Sixers, they were down 2-1. Game four in Philadelphia, Kawhi hits a massive three and rescues that game. And then game seven, the Raptors couldn't blow it and they almost get to overtime. If it wasn't again for a crazy Kawhi shot to win that series. And then against the Bucks in those first two games, it was like, well, the Raptors are dead now. There's no chance they can come back and win. And then they go and play the Warriors. Now, the Warriors, albeit were without Kevin Durant, but it was still like the Raptors can't win this, you know, and they go on and win. They win three games in Golden State of all places, you know, the, the, the fortress that used to be Golden State. So, you know, the way I see it as we sit here today, I'm like every single team apart from, you know, probably the Nuggets uh, and, uh, you know, can have a, have a claim anyway, the way they can be, we can win it because the great, the great equalizer here is there's no home court. There is no home court. So it's sort of then for those teams that should have had home court, it's a disadvantage for them because they don't now have that advantage of the first couple of games of their series and then the last game, if necessary, at home. So it's sort of, it makes things a little bit even because you're seeing, you know, technically in this Raptors Celtic series, the the road team has won every time. But of course, we know that's not real. It's just, you know, the way the series has gone. It's been no home court swinging or anything like that. So I, I, I sort of, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I see it. I see every team right now where, and, and Greg Popovich, you know, who's won five championships, you know, maybe the greatest coach we've ever seen. Even when the Spurs were having all their success and winning those championships, he wouldn't at the end of a season go, well, we were the greatest and we knew it and we, we beat everybody. He would say like, come playoff time. You just need, you need a couple of things to go your way. You need sometimes just uh, a little bit of luck to, for things to even out the way they, uh, they happen. And that's the thing for the Celtics. They've already lost Gordon Hayward. And when he went down, it's like, well, they probably won't get out of the second round, but they've, you know, they've, they've shown their resilience to be in the position now where they're one win away from going to the conference finals. The Raptors looked dead and buried against the Celtics and they came back to tie the series at two, two. And it's like, well, the Raptors probably won't win the series now, but again, last season, when they, when they went to Milwaukee and they were down 2-0, it's like, well, the Raptors aren't going to win this series. And it took double overtime to win game three there. So, you know, every team right now has to feel this is the championship that, that is, is up for grabs. You know, this, there's not a team that's a, an absolute lock. There are teams that certainly look better when they're at their best. But uh, overall, you know, if you're the Celtics, you look at the Clippers and you think, you know, obviously let's take Kawhi out because apart from that one game three, uh, game two it was actually against the Nuggets where he's bad, you know he's going to perform. But Paul George has been up and down. You know, uh, Montrez has been up and down. Lou Williams, while he's all offense, he gives back a little bit, quite a bit on the defensive end. And sometimes he goes cold as well. And the Clippers as well. I talked about this on our show. As, as great as they have been during the regular season, there were signs that everything wasn't great in that locker room. So if the Clippers fall behind in a series, you know, do they sort of start turning on each other a little bit? And then even the Lakers, you know, LeBron, he's 35. He's going to be 36 in December. Like, he's a great player, of course. We all know that. But LeBron, you know, I mean, no one's Superman. No one can go on forever. So if, if you take, if you can somehow slow LeBron down and put all the emphasis on Anthony Davis and then those other guys, those older guys like Danny Green and, you know, KCP, do you feel, I mean, are they that scary? Not really, I wouldn't think. If you're the Celtics, you wouldn't be like, uh, we, we can't, you know, we can't, we haven't got an answer for KCP and Danny Green out there. So, you know, th- those are the sorts of things. If the Celtics get healthy and stay healthy and are rested and fresh, if they do make it to the finals, they certainly shouldn't look at whoever they're playing and be like, well, we can't beat this team. I think the, the opposite, they would feel pretty confident that they could beat whoever they're matched up against. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and look, it's an exciting prospect to hear that there is a pathway there for the Celtics. But look, now that we've spent a heavy 10, 15 minutes talking about that, we've probably <laughs> placed a heavy jinx on them, and I'm sure they're going to lose the next two games <laughs> to the Raptors now. Now, Lee, we're, we're almost out of time. We do just have one final point to get to. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Lee, but you're sort of famously not a fan of any particular team. You, you're kind of team agnostic. Um, you could say you're a fan free agent. So we thought in these last <laughs> few minutes, it is our 101st episode. So we thought we'd have a little bit of fun here. Um, we take a few minutes to, to make a proposal of sorts to try and convert you to, uh, to become a, a full-time Beantown boy. So Beantown listen- boy. All right. I like it. If you listen to our criteria, if you listen to our, our pitch, if you will, um, we'll, we'll see how we go. So I'm going to start us off here. So number one, the team's obviously got an extremely bright future. As you mentioned, they've got one of the best and youngest coaches, one of the best young duos in the league with Tatum and Brown. 17 titles as well is point two. They're by default the league's best team. So you can't really go wrong there. Um, there are some Aussie connections, obviously Bainesy. Uh, mm-hmm. Bains had two great years with the team before unfortunately yep. being traded away to the Suns. Kemba, Tatum, Brown, and Smart all just had a great tour through Australia as well. I know you were there for the uh, for those Melbourne games less than a yeah. year ago. And Phil Coles, an Aussie, he's the team's executive director of uh, performance. And oh. finally, on on your on your podcast, No Dunks, you've got a Bulls fan in Trey. You've got two massive Homer Raptors fans in Skeets and Taz. <laughs> Would it not just be perfect for you to emerge as this hardcore? Celtics fan, especially yeah. as the series now is, is kind of reaching its peak. Yeah. Wow. See, see that, that's a thing. So you're right that I am not I, like, I support every team and I support none of them at the same time, but I kind of explain it to people like this. If you, if you're watching a horse race, right, you don't really care who wins. No one really cares. But if all of a sudden you've got 20 bucks and you're like, all right, I'm putting it on this horse. Then you've got, then all of a sudden you're cheering for that horse. Right. And so I lived in Toronto for nine years. So there there's, there's my connection to the Raptors, right? They're my horse. So when they're in the playoffs, I'm like, all right, Raptors, I want you to do well and I want you to perform. Right. So that's, that's where I am in this series right now. But so when I go up against Skeets and Tats, like, like, like we're friends and we're enemies at the same time, you know, like you you're like any old friends, you know, you, you have your bets and you have your uh, situations where you're like, I don't, you know, I, I want to beat my friend. I want to be on top of my friend. I want to win that little battle. But when it comes to the Raptors, it's like, yeah, it's different in that situation. And last season, I think I'm pretty sure I was the only one out of the four of us who picked the Warriors to win the finals. And I felt like an asshole. I was like, oh, I can't. Yeah, I'm like, I, I mean, I can't believe I'm picking against my friends here because uh-huh. you know these predictions don't mean anything. Nobody cares. But it's like you want to you you want to sort of celebrate with your friends as well, if you know what I mean. So, so in that situation, you know, that's where I that's where my sort of fandom slips back. You know, defaults back to the Raptors. But hmm. you know, the thing with the Celtics is. Growing up, you know, I was a big Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Casey Jones, Dennis Johnson fan, Reggie Lewis. I love Reggie Lewis, had posters of him on my wall, was devastated when he passed away. Um, you know, he, he was such a, an incredible player with such an e- enormous future ahead of him. So I was devastated when that happened. And I wrote to the Boston Celtics. I even got fan mail back from them. I've got the envelope here somewhere still. So I was a sort of, you know, but again, I, I wrote to every team. But so I like the Celtics. But the real problem for me was... Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce, uh, just, I couldn't stand him. I could not stand him. (laughs) Great player, great player, you know, Paul Pierce. But what really bugged me about him was I, I was kind of not bothered by him. And then it was 2007 when he basically said he wanted out of Boston. He wanted a trade. He was like, I'm done. I'm out of Boston. I think they missed the playoffs and he was like, I'm out. And then they trade for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen comes along. And then he's like, well, I'm a, I'm a Celtic for life. I'm a Celtic for life. And I'm like, 
Come on, come on, come on, come on. You can't swing it around that much. And then when they won that championship in 2008, then Paul Pierce is like, you know, I'm a Celtic legend. And I'm like, come on, man, come on. You wanted, you were out the door last season and now all of a sudden you're like, all is forgiven. I love everything about Boston. So yeah. he was someone who really like put me off the Celtics. You know, I was like, I was like, I can't stand this guy, uh, which is, I think, I think that's the thing. A lot of non Celtics fans feel that way about Paul Pierce. I think, you know, cause he's an LA guy as well. He's from California. So he was a Lakers fan growing up and now he's playing for the enemy. And, they, and of course they beat the Lakers to win the championship. So there was so much kind of like, yeah, he just, he, he was annoying everybody, but look, he's a, he's a great player. He was clutch too. He hit some big shots against the Raptors too. He did it as well, which certainly didn't help. Uh, uh, you know, my, my sort of feeling towards him. So he kind of turned me off uh, the Celtics, but look right now where they are and Skeets actually tweeted this the other night. I don't know if you guys saw it or not. The Celtics are very likable. They've got some very good players, you know, guys who just go out there, work hard and, and, and it's hard to sort of feel that same, uh, you know, anger or, or vitriol, I guess, if you like, against the Celtics. Because it's like, it's great seeing Kemba Walker on this stage, you know, and, and seeing Jason Tatum again out there in Australia uh, playing for Team USA. I mean, it was, a, it was, it was a watered-down USA team, but whenever the next Olympics and the World Championships there, Jason Tatum's going to be on because he's going to be one of their mm -hmm. first-choice players. So, you know, he, he's already at that level. So you've got him, Jalen Brown. I love Jalen Brown. I think he's incredible, uh, incredibly fun to watch and a great player. Um, and Marcus Smart, I mean, he, he, Marcus Smart, I, I, again, on our show a couple of weeks ago, he was one of those players that I said, I absolutely love 95% of what Marcus Smart does on a court. Mm -hmm. When he does that flopping and falling all over the place, it's like, don't do that, Marcus, because that's <laughs> that drives me crazy. But you saw that play last night against Fred Van Vliet where Vred's going up for a layup and he just steals it off him, falling out of bounds and throws it in play. Like I, I would love, Marcus Smart would be always on a team that I play on because I just love what he brings to the table. But it's just like sometimes, yeah, like sometimes like it is with your friends. There's one thing your friend does that just drives you crazy and you wish, wish he didn't. But of course, uh, you know, we all have those little things that we do that, that are annoying to other people. And, um, and that, that's where Marcus Smart is. So, you know, the Celtics have definitely, I'm glad they've moved on from the Paul Pierce era you know rondo as well i didn't didn't enjoy watching him there in boston and ray allen's one of my favorite players of all time so i was always that sort of like uh, i love seeing ray allen succeed uh but not on boston <laughs> so, he, followed uh, through. he followed through with the exit plan too so you got to admire exactly that, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah so uh you know it's 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 funny just my relationship with the celtics because like i say it was it, I, was, I was i was always a, a big larry bird fan at the start i mean who who, who doesn't love larry bird hmm. but then it was kind of like paul pierce was just not fun to cheer for and not fun to go for so you kind of you know you, you put that on the entire franchise and you're like well screw you guys i don't want you to win but now he's gone and he's moved on because remember as well when paul pierce he didn't want to share his um retirement night with uh isaiah thomas coming back to boston yeah that's right and i think that was the night lebron lebron absolutely roasted the celtics as well like that was just that 40, was yeah, yeah <laughs> that was the most perfect night because it was like pierce and lebron like paul pierce hated lebron lebron does that on his night and uh and so that that was uh, that was fun to see that was a night i enjoyed watching <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I've actually got a Paul Pierce signed jersey hanging on my wall here. I might have to walk oh, past my... it without looking at it a few times now. <laughs> I think you get that. How did you get that? My uh, my wife got it for me for my thirtieth birthday a few years back. Um, Is he your favourite player, like of all time? 
He he has been, yeah, absolutely. So I feel like if we had more time, I could I could punch back a little bit on the Paul Pierce <laughs> side of things. But look, as far as, far as the fandom side of things, I, I feel like we've moved the lead, the needle a little bit here, Lee. And um, look, Paul Pierce, he's long gone. He's not walking through that door, as you might say. Um, so look, it's an open invitation. Obviously, you don't have to accept <laughs> it. Uh, but look, maybe we'll be able to try again sometime in the yeah. future. Um, look, thanks again for coming on, Lee. That, that's all we had time for. This is our, I guess you could call it our Centurion episode week. So we're really happy to, to have you on to, to mark that occasion. And uh, thanks again for your time. Well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. And congratulations on, uh, on reaching 100 because uh, that's a big milestone. And, uh, I, you know, I get a lot of requests from people who have done podcasts, particularly in Australia. And, you know, they do one or two shows and like, hey, can you come on? And I'm like, you got to, you got to put a little bit more uh, into it, you know, because... <laughs> right. Because listen, it's not easy. You know, you get to that point where you're like, is anyone listening? What's the point of doing this? And you do, you know, 30 or 40 shows and you're like, why? What are we going to do? But you got stuck with it. And that's what's really important. And hopefully you can stick with it for another couple of hundred at least and, uh, and just keep at it because uh, everyone, you know, everyone's got the opportunity now to, to, uh, to do their own show. And if you've got an angle like you guys have, that's great. That's great. I mean, you, you know, you want to, you want to try to keep mixing it up as well and getting other people on who are, you know, not Boston fans to see if you can create that sort of, um, you know, that sort of interest in the show. So I wish you all the best and, uh, and thanks for having me and good luck for the future. Thank you very much, Lee. Maybe we'll give you a call when, when we reach the, uh, the 200 mark, but until then, thanks again, mate. Really appreciate right. it. Lock me in for two episode 200. All right. Lock it in. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Cheers. See ya. Okay, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you to Lee Ellis. Thanks, of course, to Jackson and Joe for all they do. And thanks to you, the listener. Celtics Raptors, Game 6, coming up tomorrow. Until then, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.